0: My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm gonna break down the entire UFC Austin fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before I do, let's take a look at UFC Vegas 82. It was a massive success. We're probably gonna rename the event to UFC Vegas Jacob because he did all the things. My premium member safety parlay hit, we'll talk about that in a second, but Jacob's underdog lock of the week hit. Jacob went 11-2 and two on picks. Jacob is up big-time units. Amanda Hebas won. All the things happened for Jacob. My safety parlay hit. Our DraftKings ownership projections were the best in the game. And it is always a great night when the premium member safety parlay and the underdog lock of the week hit. That is always an amazing night when those two things happen. Here's a closer look at the premium member safety parlay. I'm saying premium like that on purpose, by the way. We've hit four of the last five events. We had one miss in there, but we hit four of the last five events with the safety parlay, 1.66 units of net profit average per month. We've been doing it for one year. And on average, over the course of a year, you're getting 1.66 units of net profit. The last two events, I gave you 1.35 units. That's last two events, not two months, not last two events. There's two more events in this month, or actually one more, there is a week off, but the premium member safety parlay continues to be a massive success, I am very proud of it, go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member, it's only $10, you will unlock that safety parlay, but we weren't the only ones that had a great night, the rest of our community did as well, UFC Vegas 82 did well, $54,000 in tagged tickets from premium members, if you don't know, I do this every week. Our premium members are in our Discord. Discord's 100% free, it's not just premium members, but there is a channel specifically dedicated to premium members to post their winning tickets. I then take some of those tickets, I show them here to congratulate the community. Our premium members are the sharpest community in the space. Period. End of story. Fifty-four thousand dollars worth of shared tickets this week. With some context, let me read Mitchard Nixon's. He said he took down his first DraftKings contest. He's been cashing for a few months, but this time he got first and he won five thousand dollars. He started betting and following We Want Picks about a year ago. It has been worth every penny. Thank you, guys. Congratulations to Jacob Hebas. Rebecca said, great picks. Tagged us in her winning tickets. Jay sent a private message. This was on Instagram. He said, another $1,000 or so week, plus another 280 dollars in DraftKings Fantasy. I'll keep saying it. $10 a month. What a steal. And then a whole bunch of tickets of people who had the lock of the week and the safety parlay. Point being, guys, premium membership is only $10 a month, and it continues to be a massive success for everybody involved. $10. $10 a month, you can't go to Starbucks right now, grab yourself a nice coffee and a Danish for $10, let alone get everything that premium membership comes with. Go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member at the top, and you're gonna unlock things like the line movement tracker. This is gonna give you the opening odds, the current odds, the win probability, and the line movement for every fighter on every card. UFC Austin, two fighters opened as an underdog and are currently sitting as a favorite. Eight fighters have had 20% line movement or more. One of them being Zach Reese. We're going to break this dude down in a couple of fights. Open as a dog. He's already a good size favorite and he should be 10 times that. But you're going to get the line movement tracker. You're going to get the detailed data metrics and analytics. 38 columns of which we are adding a 39th column. Somebody in the Discord said, hey, how about average fight minutes? And I said, hey. Good idea. So we're working on that. We're going to get that added. You're also going to get the best DraftKings ownership projections in the game. Remember a couple slides ago, that guy took down a $5,000 DraftKings tournament. You have the tools. You have the insight. You have the information. One of them is the ownership projections. We have literally the best ownership projections in the game. If you know DraftKings Fantasy, you know we have an optimizer. You know we give you ownership projections and all that data. That data is used to help you build lineups to take down some of these large tournaments. And a percentage point, a half of a percentage point error is all the difference. That could be the difference between taking down a tournament and not. We have the best ownership projections in the game. That is an objective fact. You're gonna get the optimizer, which builds the lineups for you using that data. And you're also gonna get more than just me and Handsome Jake. You're gonna get Artem, who's breaking down far more than UFC. I'm actually gonna have a PFL video from him uploaded here shortly. You're gonna get the pick doctor, who is picking fights Based solely off of data, this is an artificial intelligence that was designed. You're going to get MMA Minute. He has 30,000 followers on the Tiki Taki and Running Mouth MMA. There are three of you in there giving you picks, bets, round line leans, and more. All of that and so much more that I didn't say because then I start to get the comments, enough with the commercials, dude. $10 a month, We want Picks.com. Click become a member at the top. We're closing in on 3,000. Here's my goals for this year. We crossed the 19,000 subscriber on YouTube. We crossed that this weekend during Jacob's live stream. Congratulations, Jacob. Obviously, he helped greatly with that. So my goal is to get to 20,000 before the end of the year. We have three more events. We have a pay-per-view, UFC Austin, and another UFC Vegas, I believe. Uh, Actually, UFC Singapore, which is moving to Vegas. Those three events we have for the rest of this year. We can get to 20,000, a thousand new subscribers between three events is not that big of a deal. During the summer, we were cruising past that number, but I wanna get to 20,000 on YouTube and to 3,000 premium members. We're almost at both, we're very close to both. In the meantime, follow all the socials. it costs nothing. We do anywhere from 200,000 to 300,000 unique views on our videos every single month on YouTube. And it says, I believe 60% of you were subscribed. That means 40% of you are watching this video, didn't click the button. Do us a favor, click the button, cost you $0 to like, subscribe. That costs absolutely nothing. We are on all the socials. We live stream to every platform on this planet. And then we post unique content on the others as well. Guys, thank you all for the support. I can't believe where we started and where we are. It's absolutely incredible. And if you wanna send some mail, send some mail. Go back, watch the vlog, the UFC 295 vlog. Every pay-per-view, I film my day, film a couple of days, we do some fun stuff, and we open mail. And this past event, somebody decided, I don't know who, they didn't leave a note, sent some of the hottest hot sauce on planet Earth, or at least that's how it felt, and we took it, we tried it, mama didn't raise no bitch, and it was bad. It hurt, it burned, I'm still in recovery, but if you do want to send something, we got a couple of letters as well. Here's the address, send something, I'll open this stuff up on the UFC 296 Fight Foods Vlog. That's enough of the promotion. Let's go ahead and break down this card. Opening up, UFC Austin, we have Rodolfo Bellato taking on Ihor Poteria. This is an interesting matchup. First of all, I have said Rodolfo Bellator about 200 times. Every graphic, every, everything. I just, I can't not put that L, but I managed to do it here. We got Rodolfo Bellato. He's a heavy-handed grappler. He's going to come forward. He will bomb away, but he will hang out for a slugfest. He will just chill and hang out for a slugfest. He is a grappler. He ultimately wants to get this to the ground, but he's not always shooting those shots. He's not always initiating takedowns. His takedowns could use some work when he does initiate them, but once he gets it to the ground, he's got solid control. He is going to chase submissions. He has two losses in his career. Both of them are to Vitor Petrino. He's taking on Ihor Patera. This guy's a pretty good striker. Has a loose style, solid power, good accuracy, but he can be hittable because he keeps his hands low and he does rely on that chin. His takedown defense is not great, but he does a very good job of making you pay on your way in. You come, you shoot some takedowns. Even if he gets taken down, you're gonna eat some shots on the way in and maybe question your second shot. He has four fights in the UFC. All of them, including the two knockout wins, he was outstruck. This guy gets outstruck. People are beating him to the punch. They're laying more on him than he's laying on them. And if his chin holds up, he's going to find the knockout. If the chin doesn't hold up, he's going to go ahead and lose. And it's just, I mean, it's just that simple. He is a kill or be killed kind of guy. This should be a Rodolfo Balato win. He can hang in the striking. He's going to have a large edge in the grappling. His takedowns are not great, but neither is Petoria's takedown defense. The worry here is that Rodolfo doesn't go all in on the wrestling. He sometimes will just hang out for a striking match. And that's not something you should do because, yes, Paterio can be put out, but he can put you out as well. If I could trust Rodolfo to hang, shoot, wrestle, grapple, do all those things, I'd be far more confident in him. He is the pick. I'm somewhat confident in him, right? It's a very clear, easy path for him to get the win, but sometimes he doesn't make the best decision. So Rodolfo's going to be the pick, but frankly, we don't want him hanging out swinging wild. Then we have one of the... uh, We have Cody Brundage, the lowest fight IQ in the history of fighting. I cannot believe he's made it this far with the decisions that he's made inside of fights. But we got Zach Reese taking on Cody Brundage. Zach Reese, as I mentioned, open as a dog. He is going to close as a favorite. Uh, Most likely a tremendous favorite, but we'll go ahead and talk about that in a second. Cody Brundage. This guy is heavy. He's got all the tools and none of the brain. He's a heavy-handed guy. He can throw like crazy. Big power in his hands. He comes forward. He throws big and then he works in wrestling. He's a very good high-level wrestler. He has big, huge power in his hands. And he comes out there. He has success with the striking. He'll have success with the wrestling. And then you look at him crooked and he'll, don't don't hit me, oh God. Or he'll drop you and then, oh, let me jump guillotine. Oh, you're on top. Go ahead, you can beat me now. The decisions this guy makes inside of fights are absolutely mind-blowing. But he has all... The talent in the world. He's coming off that win. And that's with air quotes. Over Jacob Malcoon two months ago. Where basically he was losing. He was getting smoked. Jacob Malcoon landed a questionable strike. And then Cody Brundage turned into whoever your favorite actor is. And then all of a sudden, oh, DQ. He's over there. DQ. Anyway, he's taking on Zachary. Zachary's undefeated fighter. UFC newcomer. Massive guy for middleweight. six foot four and he's not like some lanky weirdo he's like thick built out six foot four makes no sense that he makes this weight, and he uses that size he uses that length his strength in fights he's a very well-rounded guy mostly a powerful striker who will absolutely uncork he does seem a bit stiff he's a little tightly wound but he throws hard and he is technical he does not initiate takedowns but he uses his takedown defense to end up on top on ground he's got great bjj and from bottom He'll use his length to wrap you up. So on top, he's going to control. He's going to work. On bottom, he's so long. There are more than one fight where a leg, a kick has been caught, taken to the ground, boom, triangle, boom, armbar, because he's so long, so creative. I think Zachary is the real deal. I think he's likely going to bring the MMA karma with him. Cody Brundich has got a little karma coming his way. And Cody was gifted that DQ win. He had the theatrics. And Zach Reese is going to come, snatch that back, make everything normal again. Even if Cody does have some success wrestling, which he may. He's a very good, all the talent. He's a very good wrestler. So even if he has some success wrestling, I, I have no doubt that he's going to do something ridiculous, ruin the position. And then Zach Reese will smoke him. Go watch the SD Dumas fight if you need a reference point to that. This should be Zach all day long. He's minus 275 right now. He should be minus 800. He will probably close at minus 5, 600. He, literally. Because people are watching. We have a week off. People are watching. They're going to be doing their research. This card is actually a very tricky betting card. And they're going to see, oh, Zach Reese. Oh, Cody Brundage. Honey, we're going to the bank. We're getting another mortgage on the house because Cody Brundage is fighting. I, I'm sorry, If you're watching this, Cody, I apologize. I'm being extremely... I. You know what? If you sucked... I don't think I would care. The problem is you, you, you're so talented. You have such good hands, such good wrestling. You're so talented. And it's not even like, oh, he's car-. You just bonehead decisions randomly. You just get so excited. I don't know what happens. But anyway, we're, we're done talking about this fight. Then we have Steve Garcia taking on Melk Costa. It's uh, Melk is the nickname. Melk is what we're calling him. Steve Garcia, this guy's a solid grappler. He's got good takedowns, decent boxing. He likes to come forward. He'll throw those big strikes, and that will set up his takedowns. His striking is very solid. He's got nice movement, big power, good speed. He's not afraid to mix it up, but he can get himself into trouble by being a little too aggressive. He's very tough. He's always working forward, and he's coming off that win over Shalilana Nerdinbeek, and Beak, where he showcased that toughness. He was dropped early, worked back into that fight, stayed a dog, and then ended up getting the finish. He's taking on Melk Coast. This guy's very well-rounded. He's a creative guy. He's got good striking, solid grappling. His takedowns are a bit forced, but he's strong enough and persistent enough that if he gets you to the cage, he's probably going to work you to the ground. You'll see him work for takedowns pretty often, but he doesn't need to. He's got powerful hands, solid technique, and he strings together combinations well. He'll even mix in spitting attacks. He's coming off that win over Austin Lingo where he looked incredibly technical. He kept baiting Austin, right? He would get Austin to follow him, and then he would plant, ba-ba. Circle, bait, plant, ba-ba. It was, it was incredible what this guy did. Milk is going to be the better More well-rounded fighter in this matchup. He just is. But Steve Garcia, this is like the fourth video in a row that my voice cracked big time. Maybe I'm going to hit another growth spurt. That would be nice. Maybe I'll be able to grow a beard. That would be nice. So if it is a second puberty, fine. I'll take it. Let me grow a beard. Outside of that, the voice cracks on very unforgiving internets. Not the great, not great. Anyway, Steve Garcia is an absolute dog. He's gonna come forward. He's gonna bring the fight to you no matter what has happened the minute before. Look at the nerd and beak fight. Got dropped, didn't care, kept coming forward. And that's just who he is as a fighter. I'm honestly tempted to pick him because of that. My concern though is his aggression might be his undoing in this fight. Mel Costa was baiting Austin Lingo to be aggressive. Steve Garcia, if he comes forward too aggressive, All of a sudden, Melk's counter-striking, his movement, his planting. That could actually be a big, big problem for Steve and Melk can make something happen there. So I'm going to pick Melk Costa because he's going to be the more technical fighter, the more well-rounded fighter. But Steve Garcia has proven time and time again, this guy's a dog. He's going to come forward. He's going to bring the fight. And he could be a problem for a lot of people. We're going to find out if Melk Costa... Has that dog in him? Because when you're fighting somebody who doesn't stop, somebody who doesn't quit, look at what just happened with Amanda Hebos. She lost that first round. She was not doing the right things. wasn't the better fighter, and she is a dog. She stayed tough. She kept coming forward, and then broke her opponent and got the win. That could be the case here for Steve. I don't think so. Melk seems like a pretty tough guy as well, but I'm going to go with the better fighter here. Low confidence pick in Melk Costa. Then we have a Wellington Terman taking on Jared Gooden. Wellington Terman, this guy's a very solid grappler. He's on that team with Glover Teixeira, Alex Paheta. He's with them day in and day out, and he has been for a couple of years. Solid grappler. He is very slick on the ground. He's always looking to sweep or submit. Striking isn't very powerful. Like, he doesn't have that big one-punch power, but he's got really solid entries. He uses his footwork well, and his striking is coming together very, very nicely. He's coming up that loss to Randy Brown, where he did have success striking, but he just didn't do enough to steal a second round. It was a 29-28. He needed one more round, needed to put a few more things together, just wasn't able to do it. He's taking on Jared Gooden. This guy's an explosive guy. He's got power in his hands. He's got solid takedowns. He's not great anywhere, but his power, speed, athleticism have afforded him some success. He's a very dangerous guy who has had an unfortunate run in the UFC. He was cut in 2020 after going, 2021 after going one and three. Then he went four and one on the regional scene, earned his way back into the UFC, but it was a short notice fight against Carlson Harris where he was taken down five times. Wellington is a two to one favorite here. On paper, I get it. It makes sense. He's got improved striking, very good grappling, but he's also inconsistent. The striking progress he made, if you go watch that Petrovsky fight, Seemed gone in the Randy fight. Like where We just watched you be a great striker. Where did that go? He took down Carl Robeson four times in that fight, and then he goes 0 for 5 in takedown attempts in his last fight. I do think Wellington's going to win this fight. I don't know if I can completely trust him. A good knockout or even a good decision where he gets a whole bunch of takedowns is a real possibility here. I'm going to pick Wellington Terman. He should win this fight. His striking should be technical enough. He should be able to get the takedowns even though it's got, I mean, takedown accuracy 19%. That's not good. But he is training in a very good team. He is getting looks from literally two different world champions. There are three belts in that room. I'm from Connecticut. I've known Glover for a very, very long time. I have been inside that gym many times. It is... Not the biggest gym in the world, meaning you can see the mega gyms like American Top Team, Jackson Wink, all these massive mega gyms. This is a what you would expect a gym in Connecticut to be. It's a smaller gym, and Glover has surrounded himself with an amazing community. And the fact that there are three belts, three different UFC belts in that gym is wild, and Wellington Terman is surrounded by that energy, that greatness, a phenomenal striker, phenomenal grappler, just that winning mentality, so I do think Wellington Terman wins this fight, he has the tools, he should do it, the inconsistencies worry me a little bit, but uh, I'm leaning Wellington here, he should be the pick, two to one's a little steep, because I, I think he has to get his wrestling going to make something happen, I don't know if he's going to, but he has to. Then we have Drakkar Close taking on Joe Selecki. This is a sneaky good fight. Both of these guys have solid records. Both of these guys have great performances. Both of them are also not the most active fighters in the world, which always makes some of these break. You haven't fought in a year, year and a half. It makes the breakdowns hard because I don't know exactly what you're going to look like. But this is a very good matchup. We have Joe Selecki. This guy's a great grappler. He leans heavily on his wrestling, heavily on his takedowns. He's slick on the ground, and he can really make things happen with pressure and transition. He also has good hands, clean boxing, and it's not just there to set up the takedowns. He'll hang out. He'll work a striking fight with you. He will, however, lose to the more technically sound strikers, and if you go back to Jared Gordon, you can see that. He's coming off that Carl Deaton III, What? Every time I break that guy, Carl Dayton III, it's just a wild name. Anyway, he only landed three strikes in that. Literally three total strikes, but he had two takedowns and a second round submission. He's taking on Drakkar close. This guy's also a very good wrestler who has developed very good striking. He was a state champion wrestler. He uses that wrestling offense, but he does have some issues defending takedowns. He's got solid boxing with power and speed. If you remember, though, a few years ago at the weigh-ins, he was shoved. That fight was canceled and it sidelined him for a year. I believe it was a neck injury. Then he came back and he won that decision over Hafa Garcia where he was taken down a handful of times, but he controlled the striking. This is a competitive fight between two guys who are only a win or two away from being ranked. I mean, look at their body of work. Look at their record. They literally have been doing incredible things quietly over the last couple of years. But I do think this could look exactly like Jacar's last fight with Hafa Garcia. Some back and forth wrestling, Jacar's gonna control the striking and he'll take a decision. Jacar has all the talent in the world and even the long layoff doesn't worry me too much because we've seen that from him before. A year off, two years off, three years. It's not that unique for him. It sucks. I hate seeing it. He's 35. You're missing out in the best years of your life here as far as the, your, your MMA is concerned. But I think assuming Drakar is the same fighter he was a year ago, I think he wins this. And I actually threw a little bit, a half a unit on him at minus 125. I keep looking at that and I'm like, gosh, should I have? Because Joe Selecki's very, very good. And Joe Selecki could get some grappling going. But I trust Dracar. He's a good wrestler himself. He's going to be the better striker. As long as he's in shape, ready to go, all the things Dracar close should win this fight. Then we have a 42-year-old. It says 41, but it's like 41, 11 months in a week. Like, it's he's 42 years old. He's taking on at Joaquin Silva. And this is a... I don't want to say an interesting fight, but anytime Clay Guida fights, you know you're going to have a fun fight. Anytime. And... Some of the people that are newer here, right? You started watching UFC because of COVID potentially. It was the first and only sport back for a while. You don't know who Clay Guida is. I encourage you to go on YouTube, watch Clay Guida versus Diego Sanchez. Watch Clay Guida versus... Clay Guida has no fewer than 10 fights that are all-time fights. This guy is an insane, relentless pace wrestler who has the guts of... I don't know how I'm going to finish that sentence. The guts of what? He has guts. He's tough. He's athletic. He's fast. He's a wrestler. He has a ton of cardio. His nickname is The Carpenter because he's literally a union carpenter. Did not quit that job to continue doing it. And Good for him because that pension is going to pay your bills the rest of your life, not the UFC pension because there isn't one. But anyway, Clay Guida is a nonstop guy who will outpace 90% of people and even at 42 years old, he can keep that pace. He can keep working. At 41 years old, he won a fight by using that pace, by non-stop pressuring, by continuing forward. And that's who Clay Guida is. He is a busy, busy guy who has good wrestling, phenomenal cardio, decent speed, all the things. But father time catches up to everybody. He is coming off that loss to Hoffa Garcia where he landed half the strikes and he did go 0 for 3 on takedowns. He's taking on Joaquin Silva. Joaquin is a BJJ guy with pretty good hands. He's very explosive. He's always looking for a knockout. And he does have that BJJ black belt. And he is more than capable on the ground. But he doesn't really attempt takedowns. Look at that. 0.17 takedown average per 15 minutes. So he's not shooting a lot of takedowns, even though that is his path to victory on the ground. He has so much power in his hands that he is live in every single fight. And he is coming off that stoppage loss to Armin Sarukian, the guy in the main event. But he had Armin on ice skates. He had Armin almost down and out. You're going to look at the stats. He didn't get recorded for a knockdown in that fight, but he knocked. Armin was in a bad way for a minute or two there because of Joaquin's power. MMA is a young man's game. Occasionally, you will get somebody like Clay Guida who can seemingly avoid father time and defy the odds for a little bit, but eventually it will catch up to everybody. Look at Mark Madsen just a few weeks ago. He actually looked phenomenal. He looked phenomenal for the first minute or whatever of that fight. And then what looked like a pretty innocuous strike, put him out. If I'm positive somebody was like, what, innoc- what, what does innocuous mean? It just means uneventful, not that big, just a regular ass strike. Put him out. And that's the same type of Clay glida situation we could be in. He's 42 years old. The cardio, the- at a certain point, your body is like, nah, man, I've had enough. And that might happen here. Joaquin Silva's the pick. I'm very confident in him. And yes, it is only three rounds, and Clay Guida could potentially outwork Joaquin Silva, but Joaquin Silva's a tough guy. He's got very good jiu-jitsu. He's got big power in his hand. He's got all those things. This is a Joaquin Silva pick, a Joaquin Silva play. No bet on him just yet, but the more I talk about it, the more I break, the more confident I get in him and the less confident I get in an older Clay Guida. I do wish he would have told us Because anytime you get a legend, he's a straight-up legend. And if you disagree, like, you don't know this sport. Clay Guida is a straight-up legend. I do wish some of these guys, as they hit the end of their career, would tell us ahead of time. Like what Robbie Lawler did. This is my last fight. I am retiring. So the UFC can do a proper, you know, a montage, a proper farewell. Like what Zombie did. Like these guys, yeah, Clay Guida never won a belt. Neither did Zombie. These guys that have entertained us at this level for this long... Go, I encourage you to go look up Clay Guida's body of work. These guys deserve a proper send-off with people cheering and clapping, all those things. An interview, even if he loses. They deserve all of that. So I don't know if this is his last fight. I'm making assumptions. But if Joaquin Silva knocks him out, he's he probably going to go home and be like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. He's got a decent job. He's got a good living. He does this because he loves it. Anyway, that was a long rant to say, I hope this is not Clay Guida's last fight. Or if it is, I hope he tells everybody so he can get a proper send-off. Then we have Misha Tate. Speaking of old, we got Misha Tate taking on Julia Avila. Misha Tate came back after five years. She had a five year layoff. She came back. Since then, she's one and two. She came out, won that first fight back. It was like, holy shit, Misha Tate. She's not like old, old. She won that fight and she's dropped two since then. But. If you don't know who Misha is, she is the former Bantamweight champion, the former champion of this weight class. She fought some of the best women on planet Earth. She also won Celebrity Big Brother. I'm a a Big Brother fan. She had the Celebrity Big Brother championship, um, I don't know, two years ago or something like that. So she won that with her athleticism, with her brain power, very charming. All right, I'm not gonna turn into Jacob right now. Anyway, Misha Tate, style-wise, very good wrestler, good grappler. She does have technical striking. The problem is she is older. She seems committed-ish, but she looked like slow motion in her last fight. Because in order for her wrestling to be effective, she's got to get her hands going. You can't just come out there letting the world know, oh, I'm going to shoot a takedown, but there's no setup here because it's going to get stuffed and you're not going to have any success. And Misha Tate's striking looked a little slow. The shots looked a little slow. All of those things looked a little slow. Keep in mind, that was a weight class below, and that could have been the issue. She's taking on Julia Avila. Also coming off a pretty long layoff. She's a heavy-handed brawler. She's aggressive both on her feet and on the ground. She is a BJJ black belt, but when she gets on top, she's just pounding away instead of looking for a submission. She will slug it out on her feet. She's not even going to attempt to wrestle. She's coming off a two-year layoff. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, it must be a USADA issue. It wasn't. She had a kid. She had a knee injury. No USADA issue. Nothing like that. But it is a two-year layoff. She does have a kid. And we do know that that occasionally will change you a little bit, right? All of a sudden, your training dynamic, what you can and can't do. Your whole life changes when you add a little gremlin into the mix. My girls are in the other room right now. So this is actually an interesting fight. It should be a steamroll, right? It should be the... Julia Avila, the heavy handed, the grappler, the, the, you know, she should steamroll a Misha Tate who looked like she was in slow motion in her last fight. But as I mentioned, Misha Tate in her last fight was at 125 pounds. This is at 135 pounds. It did seem like the weight cut and all that stuff was the actual issue. So now at her natural weight of 135, we know she's a good wrestler. We know she's tough as hell. Nobody's going to call Misha Tate a coward or soft. She is absolutely tough as hell. I still think Julia Avila is going to win this fight. Assuming she's the same person she was before the layoff, she's heavy-handed. She comes forward. She's a BJJ black belt. Takedown defense is decent. Misha's takedowns were never that good. She's just busy and consistent. I think Julia Avila could absolutely get this done. Neither one of these women are going to be contending for a belt anytime soon, 35, 37. But Julia Avila should win this fight. No bet here. But she should absolutely get this done. Then we have Veronica Hardy, Dan Hardy's wife, taking on Jamie Lynn Horth. Veronica Hardy, or Veronica Macedo, if you're doing research before the uh, marriage and last name change, is a technical striker. And pay attention to this breakdown, because I'm gonna say striker, 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 And then we're gonna talk about what she did in the last fight. But she's a technical striker, she's very light on her feet, she's very fast. She bounces around, she charges forward, she'll throw lefts and rights before circling out. She's fast and creative with her striking, not very powerful though. But she's not just a striker. We just saw her evolution as a mixed martial artist in her last fight, a dominant win over Julia Miller where she went four for four on takedown. 100% of her takedowns. And it was clear that she was very well trained, has very high fight IQ. And she got that fight to the ground when she needed to. She's taken on Jamie Lynn Hort. She's a striker with solid accuracy and power. She moves well. She mixes up various kickboxing techniques while pressuring. She has a high fight IQ and she follows a game plan well. Her takedown defense is pretty good, but it's not great. But she does work her way back up well if she is taken down. She's coming off a UFC debut win over Haley Cowan where she was taken down twice, but she controlled that striking pace. What's important here is Veronica's grappling because yes, she's a striker and so is Jamie Lynn Horth. Without the newly added wrestling, Veronica would not have a backup plan. She'd be stuck in a striking match with potentially the better striker. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on the fact that Jamie's gonna be the better striker in this matchup, but Veronica potentially could be in a striking match against somebody who's out striking her. And without the wrestling, she has nowhere to go. No backup plan, nothing else to do. But now that we know she has this phenomenal wrestling, now that we know she makes the right decisions in fights, if the striking's not going the way she wants it to, she can shoot a takedown. She could just shoot a takedown even if the striking is going the way that she wants it to. So Veronica Hardy is an underdog at plus 120. I threw a quarter of a unit on her, not a ton. It's still women's MMA. I threw a quarter of a unit on her because the striking is very good. We know the wrestling is very good. We know she's well-trained. Jamie got taken down Twice in that fight with Haley Cowan. She gave up four minutes of control time. And if Veronica Hardy just gets a little bit of wrestling going, she's 10 times the striker that Haley Cowan was. And she could win this fight. So quarter of a unit on Veronica Hardy. And I'm somewhat confident that she wins this fight. There's my underdog lock of the week. I'm red haired. Then we have Punahele Soriano taking on Dustin Stolzfist. Punahele is a big power Big power guy. He's a fluid striker. The power's insane. He could put most people out on his feet if he connects. He was a D3 All-American wrestler. Yeah, it's not D1, but it is good level college wrestling, and he was an All-American. It wasn't just like on the team. You know, he's an All-American. But despite those wrestling credentials, he has been taken down 14 times in seven fights in the UFC. He can be first round or bust that time, but he does retain his power later in the fights. He has coming off that loss to Roman Kapilov, where he threw bombs, he tried to wrestle, and then he was taking down himself. He's taking on Dustin Stoltzfist. This guy's a busy striker with very good power. He has a BJJ black belt. He is solid off his back, but that's not what he's looking for. He wants to hang out. He wants to strike. He wants to be inside the pocket. And it's not the best idea because he's got a questionable chin. His record is interesting because you're gonna see that he's got a win against Joe Pfeiffer. That was an injury. Joe broke his arm, so that's not like a win-win. You'll also see he has four losses, and you're gonna assume he sucks. But that's, I mean, those are quality losses. Three of them were to very good grapplers. One of them was to very good striker. So you can't just look at the high-level numbers and be like, oh, let's get one and four in his last five. This guy, No, look a little closer. There's some uh, interesting caveats in this guy's record. And this is a hard card to find some reasonable spots. This is a very, very tricky card. Punahele, in theory, should win this fight. But a three-to-one favorite? He's a three-to-one favorite right now. That's insane. He should not be a 3-1 to favorite. We just watched him get taken down by a kickboxer and then knocked out. I would love to lean on his Division three wrestling credentials to force a bet here, but he hasn't had a takedown in his last five fights. And he's fighting a hard-hitting BJJ black belt. It was exactly the type of guy that's going to ruin your parlay. So is going to be the pick because he should win this fight. On paper, he's got the power. Decent chin. On paper, D3 wrestling. He's got all the things on paper, but bringing that from paper to reality, this is not the never-ending story. It is not a guarantee that it's just gonna pop out of the book. And now we're flying on a weird dog dragon and that poor horse. That If you didn't cry as a kid, watching that horse in the never-ending story get sucked up by, what was it, like mud? Then you don't have a heart. Punahele should win But My money's not going to be anywhere near that fight Then we have Sean Brady Taking on Kelvin Gastelum Sean Brady's a high level grappler right? He's got some good wrestling He's got some good grappling He also has a little bit of power in his hands He's going to plot forward He's going to throw those bombs He'll even work in a spinning back fist Because nothing says I'm a phenomenal striker Like spinning around in a circle He'll even work in a spinning back fist before shooting a takedown. He can be dangerous on the feet. He's definitely dangerous on the ground. He tends to have cardio issues. But he has learned to rest when he needs to rest. He averages almost three takedowns per fight. But he did go 0 for 5 against Bilal Muhammad last year. When he lost a striking match. To a pillow fist. That was one of the craziest. Losing to Bilal. I picked Bilal Muhammad to win. Fine. that I mean, expect him to win. I expect him to TKO this guy in his feet. What a joke. You take it on Kelvin Gastelum and up until Kelvin's last fight, you could sit here in this oversized chair with this body and you could say that Kelvin Gastelum has all the abilities to be a champion and none of the work ethic. This is something you could have said before his last fight. He was a troubling one in five going into it. Didn't seem to take his career seriously. And then he linked up with Henry Cejudo, who seems to be like the pothead whisperer. And now Kelvin showed up. This guy, in his last fight, he pressured hard. Great leg kicks. He looked the best that he has looked in years. Skill-wise, he's a very good wrestler. He's got power in his hands. His chin is insane. He's never out of a fight. At middleweight, he was pretty undersized. The only reason he was at middleweight is because he kept missing weight at welterweight. So they said, listen, fatso, work your way up. You can't keep going to welterweight. But now he's sort of shown the UFC, hey, I'm taking my career seriously. I linked up with a good team let me go back to welterweight. And they said, okay. So this fight is at welterweight. It is his first fight at welterweight. And I think he wins this fight. Sean's takedowns are mediocre. And according to his last fight, he has the worst striking in the UFC. Kelvin has a granite chin, great hips, tons of power. And if Bala Muhammad is piecing up Sean Brady in his feet, I cannot imagine what Kelvin's going to do to that guy. If you can find a fight where Kelvin Gastelum Gastelum, was out-wrestled, Right? He was taken down, out-wrestled. Now, let me know. Because this guy's a great wrestler with great hips, great offensive wrestling, big power in his hands, a phenomenal champion. What the hell is Sean Brady going to do to Kelvin Gastelum? Very high on Kelvin Gastelum. I do have a bet on him, but I'm a little nervous. It's his first fight at welterweight. He has proven more times than not that he'll miss weight. or you know, That is the only question here. Is Kelvin going to make weight? If he does make weight, what's the cardio going to look at? Outside of that... Skill for skill? I mean, sucks to be Sean Brady next Saturday. Then we have a Rob Font taking on at Deveson Figueredo. Another interesting fight, another weight class change. This time, we're heading up. Rob Font is a gritty, tough, technical striker. He's got a solid chin, not a ton of power, but he is a good boxer who doesn't really kick a very often, but he doesn't need to. His hands are so clean, they're so fast. He works in and out of the pocket before most fighters know what happened. He has a fantastic, almost six significant strikes landed per minute and solid defense by being hit with fewer than four. He's coming off a short notice loss to Corey Sandhagen, where he, he was wet blanketed. He was taken down, held down the entire time. Good for Corey. That's what Corey needed to do to win that fight. Rob Font took that on short notice. He was supposed to fight a couple weeks later. They just moved them. You, know, you got to take your chance, right? Let's eliminate that loss. That is what it is. He's taking on Devis and Figueredo or Figgy as we will refer to him here on out this guy's a well-rounded guy he's dangerous everywhere he's got power in his hands well-timed takedown a bjj black belt he's got some dog in him former flyweight champion who has decided to move up to 135 pounds in hopes of extending his career he's getting a little older weight cuts getting a little harder sort of blaming the weight cut on on his recent performances but this guy's was huge at 125 he had big power it helped him impose his will, but it also affected his cardio. And he's coming off that quadrilogy loss to Brandon Moreno. This is an interesting fight. And when I saw it, my gut reaction was, ah, Figgy's going to win this. Font's just a little too beat up, a little worn down to hang out with these young guys. And then I was like, oh, shit, Figgy's not that young. He's not that young at all. And he's up in weight now. So is he still going to have that power? And now I'm torn because is Figgy's power going to translate to 135? 135? Is Rob's chin starting the fade? Can Figgy hang in the speed department? There's a ton of unknowns here and that's what we love, right? If, As a fan, that's what you love. When you don't know who's gonna win a fight, that's what makes an incredible fight. But if you're sitting in this chair telling 3,000 people that premium membership is working out well and you gotta make a pick, it makes the job a little harder. It makes your job a little harder. I'm still gonna lean Devis and Figueroa here. For Rob being a two to one favorite seems way too wide. Way too wide. But I get it. He's bigger, he's got clean striking, decent takedown defense. But I'm gonna lean Figgy. I'm gonna I'm hoping that the extra 10 pounds will help the cardio. The speed from 125 will still be there. The power from 125, it's not gonna be Cheeto Vera power, but hopefully he's got some power moving up. So Figgy's going to be the pick. In all likelihood, that's going to be a mistake. I hate picking against my Northeast guys here, but, you know, I, I I don't know. This is a gut pick. This is not a logical. A logical, like, brain, facts, whatever. The better pure boxer from the higher weight class should win. That's that's why there are weight classes. But I'm going to lean Figgy here and hope that the weight change is a good decision for his career. Then we have a Khalil Roundtree taking on Azimat. Mirzikanov. Khalil Roundtree is a Muay Thai striker. He's got a ton of power, super fast. Khalil can knock anyone out on any day as long as he's the one dictating the pace, as long as he's the one pressuring forward. Because his fights go very well when he's in charge, but if he's backing up and you're controlling the pace, it doesn't work out that much for him. He can struggle a little bit. He doesn't have much. Offensive wrestling either with exactly zero takedowns in 14 UFC fights, but his takedown defense is actually decent at 56%. He's riding a four-fight win streak with that most recent one being a knockout over former heavyweight Chris Dawkins. He's taking on Azimat Merzikano. This guy is not that big for the way. He's not a big light heavyweight. He should probably be a middleweight. But he has very legit power. He's fast. He's heavy-handed. He has a knockdown in all four of his UFC fights. He's a good wrestler with solid ground and pound, but his hands are so good that he doesn't even wrestle very often. He's coming off his first decision win in the UFC over Dustin Jacoby, where he had a knockdown and a takedown. Both of these guys are very talented. Both of them can beat anybody on any given day if they show up. But they also both have holes, and they keep fights closer than they should be. Without the knockdown, Azamat may have lost the Jacoby fight. And he certainly was losing the Tafan Chukwe fight before he, Tafan, made a big fight IQ mistake. And similarly, Khalil had a gift decision in his win over Jacoby and a controversial kick-to-the-knee win over Bukowskis before that. The point being here is that I don't think I can trust either one of these guys with my money. I do think Azamat wins. He's the more well-rounded guy. I was, I saw it on paper I saw the matchup, and I'm like, all right, safety parlay, Azmat Merzikhanov, and then let me go get the other half. And then I was like, let me watch tape. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. I can't have this guy in the safety parlay. So he is not in the safety parlay. He is the pick. I do think he controls the striking. I think he controls the wrestling. But he's going to have to push a pace early and not let Khalil march him down. Because if Khalil's moving forward, this guy is very, very good. So Azmat Merzikhanov is the pick, but... I mean, Tefan and Chukwi showed us you can beat this guy. And he would have beaten him if he didn't have the dumbest coaches of all time. Then we have the co-main event. This this is a great card top to bottom. This is a phenomenal co-main event. Is it a pay-per-view? No, but this is an awesome fight night. I don't know what else you want out of a fight night. We have Dan Hooker taking on Bobby Green in the co-main event. Dan Hooker. Very good striker. He has an enormous amount of heart. We saw it in his last fight, and we've seen it in a bunch of other fights, like his Poirier fight, his Felder fight. He's a long-rangey kickboxer. He uses kicks well to manage that distance. He's sharp. He's technical. But he can get sucked into firefights. He will hang, and he will just let it all out and have some fun. His takedown defense is solid at 80%, but I don't think he's going to need it in this matchup. He's coming off that very close win over Jalen Turner. Taking it on Bobby Green. This guy's a busy striker. He's got that showboat style, hands at his waist. Great volume, incredible defense. And up until 2020, he was a slick wrestler as well. He has 11 knockouts under his belt, which are typically volume and TKO based. But he did just one punch knockout Grant Dawson, which I don't even know if it was a, it might've been a hard sneeze the way that bum went down. It is a really solid matchup. And just last year, this would have been two older fighters, journeyman kind of guys. and But all of a sudden, now we have two very good strikers who are riding win streaks and reminding people how good they actually are. Dan should be the better all-around fighter here, but Bobby's going to have the better pure boxing. I saw Dan's last fight in person. I was there in person. And that guy is a dog. He's an app. Jalen Turner is good. And Dan Hooker went in there and he fought the fight. I am going to lean Hooker here. And I think these odds are absolutely spot on. Minus 150 makes complete sense. The younger fighter, the more well-rounded fighter. We know he's tough. He's not Grant Dawson. We know he's tough. So I think Dan Hooker is the pick. I don't have a bet on him just yet, but I honestly probably will because those are good odds. I'm very confident in the guy to win the fight. The odds are affordable. The odds make sense to me. So I'm probably going to go ahead and do something with Danny Hooker. Then we have the main event of the evening. First, Benil Dariush is 34 years old. That's shocking to me. He looks, first of all, very handsome man. He looks like an unbelievable 48-year-old. Does he not Does he not look like, you know, he'd be at his, his daughter's high school graduation? You're like, that's a good-looking dad. He looks like an unbelievable 48-year-old, but he's 34. He looks terrible at 34. Phenomenal at 48. He's taking on Armin Sarukian, Benil Dariush, great everywhere. He's got great power and control. He averages almost two takedowns per fight. And he is a no-gi BJJ world champion. We have seen him beat people with grappling, like Tony Ferguson and Diego Fajeda, as well as striking like Scott Holtzman and James Vick. He is a perennial contender. He did just lose on an eight-fight win streak with that first round knockout loss to Charles Oliveira. It's taking on Armin Sarukian. This guy is an incredible wrestler who has managed to piece together a very nice striking game as well. He uses solid footwork and setups for both his strikes and his takedowns. He's athletic. He's gonna mix in kicks fluidly. He's this new generation of lightweight where he's got that beast wrestling, but also very good striking. He's coming off that third round TKO win over Joaquin Silva, where he did get rocked and he worked through it. So on one hand, it's like, uh-oh, Does he have a questionable chin? On the other hand, it's like, okay, we know he can work through some adversity here. But it was only one year ago where I sat in a chair and I was positive that Benil Dariush was gonna get out-wrestled and beaten by Mattel's camera. I was positive. And that's not what happened. Benil had some of the most incredible grappling scrambles I have ever seen in my life. His striking was sharp, and he won that fight. Armin Sarukian's wrestling is basically the same as Gamrot's. It's relentless. It has forward pressure, nonstop shooting takedowns. I'm still going to pick Armin here. I'm pretty sure I've picked him in every single one of his fights. But I can't bet on him. Not after watching him get rocked. Not after seeing Benil Dariush's scramble skills. I am curious. I mean, he's a he's a favorite here. Good size favorite. Let me know in the comments why you think Armin Sarukian is a favorite in this fight. When we watch Benil out grapple, out scramble, and out strike Mataus Gamrot. And Armin lost to Gamrot. I'm not doing the MMA math thing. But we watched Benil fight one of the best wrestlers in the division. And it wasn't a problem for him. And now he's fighting another phenomenal wrestler in the division. And the odds are saying it's going to be a problem for him. I'm still picking Armin. Benil's only 34, but the age difference I do think matters. I think Armin's striking is far better than Gamrot's. But we just watch him get chinned a little bit. We watch Benil defend a million takedowns. I am not betting on this fight. I'm going to watch this fight. I'll be rooting for Armin. I'm a giant Armin Sarukian fan. This is a very good main event. This is a very, very good card. Guys, do me a favor. Follow the socials. It costs $0 to do any of these. The Discord is also 100% free. There's obviously some premium channels. There's some premium features like alerting. But all the socials are absolutely free. Just click the buttons. Do the things. We genuinely appreciate it. As I mentioned before, my goal is to get to 20,000 subscribers on the We WeWantPix YouTube channel and 3,000 premium members. We're very close to both. Very, very close to both of those things. And I do think we can get there. And here's the premium plug. Guys, it's only $10 a month to be a premium member. Just go to wewantpicks.com, click become a $10, $10 a month. What an app. The value you get for that $10 is insane. You're going to get 38 columns of detailed data, metrics, and analytics to help you do your own research. You're going to get the line movement tracker, which is going to highlight for you. The opening odds, the current odds, the win probability. How those odds translate to win probability and the line moving for every single fighter on every single card. You're also gonna get more than just me and Jakey Boy. MMA Minute has 30,000 subscribers on Tiki Taki. Breaking down fights, giving you picks, bets, insight, round line leans, all of that. You're gonna get running mouth MMA. Three of them doing the same thing. You're gonna get Artem, who's giving you Everything, not just UFC. He has a PFL video this week. He crushed Bellator 301 last week. And you're going to get the Pick Doctor. That is an AI picking fights based solely off of data. All of this and so much more. We want picks.com. Click become a member, it is only $10 a month.